This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Igo. Got a lot to talk about on tonight's podcast. We sit here on Sunday night. We've got a baseball series to, to review and recap as ECU takes two of three over Wichita State. We've got basketball recruiting. Mike Schwartz is out on the recruiting trail this weekend, flying all over the place, getting some recruiting done, sending out offers, getting some commitments Two commitments officially in the first two of the Mike Schwartz era. More to come from what I'm hearing. We'll talk about that. But we're going to start with football. ECU just wrapped up its third official spring under head coach Mike Houston. Because you got to remember the 2020 spring was canceled. This is the fourth year of the Mike Houston era. And a lot of progress was made over the course of the spring. Of course, we've covered it the entire time on hoistacolors.net. I should add, by the way, before we get too much into the spring game, going to have our our newest edition of Port of Call at the end of this podcast. The user on Hoist the Colors who will join us goes by the name of Kiss My Cass. That is Kiss My Cass, K-A-S-S. Some people have speculated it is Rob Cass. Is it Rob Cass? We'll find out at the end of the episode in our newest edition of Port of Call when we get to know our Hoist the Colors members. All right, let's dive into this spring game. This past weekend on Saturday, we got to see a number of big takeaways from the spring game. I'm going to give you my three biggest takeaways. Uh, First, a little bit on the actual game itself. It was an offense versus defense format. And so, you know, I know that the fans really like to see the true teams be – kind of split up and have a true team purple versus team gold but really I think it makes more sense for the coaching staff to do offense versus defense because it truly gives you a the best possible look because the the ones have worked together for most of the for most of the spring uh these the twos and I'm saying the ones the first team the twos the second team and the third team most of those guys all work together throughout the spring of course you're going to interchange some pieces here and there but you have much better continuity on both sides of the ball. When you start mixing and mashing teams, you almost have to throw the game film out because you're you're not getting a great look at guys who are used to playing beside each other and you very familiar with each other. Whereas this type of situation, you get a a fair look, I think, based on how many of the guys have, have been in a certain spot throughout the course of the spring. So I think it's it's important from that perspective. Of course, Mike Houston said he was a tad worried 
about some depth in certain spots, and certainly if they would have been a little bit more deeper, they could have split the teams up and felt a little better about it. But at the end of the day, I thought we got a good look at both sides of the ball, and the final score was somewhat controversial. You know, texting with some sources yesterday, the final was 40-40. to They had a unique scoring system for the game based on the offense versus defense, you know, because obviously the defense can only score via pick six or a scoop and score. That's not really fair. So they got points for tackles for loss, sacks, all that sort of stuff. The final score was 40-40, to though the offense had the ball, I think, around the 18, 15-20 yard line, somewhere in there, with 15 seconds on the clock. Mason Garcia hands the ball off with 15 seconds left. The guy gets tackled right around the line of scrimmage in a 40-40 to game. They try to spike it but can't, and the clock runs out, game tied at 40-40. There was controversy on was it a tackle for a loss, which would have meant one point for the defense, giving them a win. And then there was some controversy, too. The offense was saying that the defense was laying on the guy in the ball carrier and not allowing them to spike it and kick a game with a field goal, which would have given the offense the win. At the end of the day, 40-40 game. Both sides, I guess, are victors. We still have not gotten clarification on both sides. If they got a winner's dinner, what was on the line was the winner was supposed to get steak and shrimp and all that. And the loser was going to get beanie weenies. Well, Mike Houston said after the game, if it's a tie, I might serve everybody beanie weenies. I'm, I'm sure that was not the case. And so we'll have to figure out who actually won the game. Maybe I'll reach out after this podcast, try to get some clarification on that. Or if they just called it a tie and fed everybody. I guess a spring ball. I guess you can get away with that. But come regular season, obviously there's got to be a clear winner and a loser. All right, three big spring game takeaways from me. Uh, tomorrow on Hoist the Colors or Tuesday, I'm going to have 10 players who stood out, so stay tuned for that in written form. But these are my three biggest takeaways from watching the spring game. Number one, this defense has a chance to be special. And I know we get wrapped up and, oh, it's spring ball. Everybody looks good. Let's pump up the hype machine. You know, let's, let's get it going. But no, nah, guys, this defense really has a chance to be legit. You know, there are a few spots that worry me a tad, you know, inside linebacker depth, although some of that, for me, was answered. On Saturday, I thought backup linebackers Taylor Jackson and Jacoby Simpson really looked solid. Their run fits were good. They tackled well in space. Jackson looked really good blitzing. So you know you have Xavier Smith and Miles Berry as your starting inside linebackers. What's the depth looking like behind them? Well, those two guys looked apart, and they got a lot of reps. The speed of this defense is as good as I've ever seen at ECU. I mean, they are, they're fast and they're physical. The two starting safeties right now, Tegan Wilk and Julius Wood, have as good instincts and get downhill and react as, as good as any safety tandem I've seen at ECU. I mean, I've always said Tegan, his instincts, his ability to understand the game, nobody's looking at. I think he's he's he plays a lot faster than maybe what his true game speed is. So I think him and Julius Wood have a chance to be a really special safety tandem. Malik Fleming looked good at corner. Everybody wants to know who's going to replace Jaquan McMillan on the other side. Well, Demel Hickman had a fantastic scrimmage to wrap up a great spring. You also had some other guys step up at corner. Um, and they were playing this the, the game without Jawan Powell. I thought Darren Perry looked pretty good with the second team. You, know, you had several young guys like Jamani Wilson uh, make some plays as well. And the backup safety, Sean Tucker, uh, not Sean Tucker, excuse me, uh, Sean Dorso had a big hit at one point. Jaira Wilson, who's splitting time between safety and Sam, he had a pick of Ryan Stubblefield. 
And then you had the defensive line, which at this point, I mean, they were rolling guys in and out. First, second team, doesn't really matter. That group is pretty well set, and they're stocked. And they were getting some pretty consistent pressure. I thought you saw a good balance of pressure and protection. You don't really want to see one side dominating the other uh, in terms of pass rush versus pass protection. I thought the mix was pretty even there. But, you know, you had guys like J.D. Lampley, Shondre Mims, who are newer, who made some plays. J.D. Lampley, a true freshman, getting some run with the first team. We know Rick DeBrew, what he can do. Jeremy Lewis beat Noah Henderson a few times off the edge at tackle. So good to see that pass rush. Uh, Emmanuel Hickman, of course, and Chad Stevens look very good in the scrimmage as well. A young defensive end. So I just think this defense, you know, are they the biggest in certain areas? Maybe not. You know, the defensive line isn't huge. But you just have so much versatility, so much depth, and they run to the ball extremely well. They tackle well. They don't miss tackles. And some of that in terms of they know ECU's offense so well certainly plays a role. But there were no coverage busts on Saturday. There were no guys running wide open, no glaring missed tackles. I mean, you had – the only one that stands out was, you know, Joseph McKay, the running back, made Jack Powers miss after a catch. That's a tough tackle in open space. Rajay Harris made a couple guys miss, but it's Rajay Harris. That's what he's going to do. I mean, there were no glaring, just weak tackle attempts. This defense, guys, it has a chance to carry this team. The offense, I think, is going to be solid. I think it's got a chance to be really good in certain areas. But I think this defense has a chance to win some games, you know, in the teams. Uh, definitely the low 20s. And, you know, the, the I, I just think that finally we're seeing the Mike Houston visual. Well, we saw it last year really take hold, but this year it's going to another level. And I really like this defense. Even if they lose a few guys to injuries, I think they're pretty deep. But obviously, hope none of that happens um, either. All right, my second big takeaway, Mason Garcia is nearly ready. And I think this was by far the best we've seen. Mason Garcia, the sophomore quarterback, look in a live setting. The coaching staff has been very intentional about getting Garcia as many reps as possible, really dating to last year's bowl practices. They've been trying to get this guy as many live reps just because, I mean, everything about Garcia's game physically in terms of being big, strong, and being able to throw the piss out of the ball, well, it's there. It's just the mental side of the game. He needs as many reps, and he needs to see it and experience it as many times as possible. And ECU's defense and practice to go up against is probably uh, one of the tougher in the country just because Blake Harrell mixes it up so much. But we finally saw on Saturday all that work really start to pay off. Mason had a little bit of a shaky start, but man, in the second quarter, towards halftime and into the second half, he threw the ball as well as we've seen him throw the ball. He threw it with confidence. He was going through his progressions. He was going in and out of the pocket in terms of evading rush, making throws on the run. He was scrambling to pick up yardage. You know, they didn't really do the design run game with him, even though that's a big part of his game because he's so big and physical and fast. But if he's able to throw the football like he did on Saturday, and I know that at this point there's probably some comfortability going against ECU's defensive scheme because he's seen it so much. But if he can figure out ECU's defensive scheme, he can figure out a lot of defensive schemes he'll see over the course of his career. So I think Mason Garcia has clearly been working to get to this point. The coaching staff has put in a lot of time, a lot of effort to try and get him to the point where he's nearly ready, and he is. He looked as good 
and he's got as much upside as any quarterback has had in this program in some time. I'm not trying to say Mason Garcia is better than Holt Naylor's today because I don't think he is. Donnie Kirkpatrick, the OC, alluded to it after the game. Head coach Mike Houston alluded to it after the game. There were still certain situations, pre-snap, setting protections, getting the offense in and out of the right plays. Holt Naylor's has a mastered understanding of the offense in those phases. Garcia is still learning that, as are the rest of the young quarterbacks on the team, just because they're just they don't have as much time, they don't have as much experience, and Holton's still ahead of the game there. And uh, Holton looked fine on Saturday. I thought, you know, early on, I think his first or second drive, he missed some throws, but then he bounced back, had a really, really solid day. So I think Holton Aylers is your starter. I think Mason Garcia, though, has as much upside long-term as anybody in the program, and he'll get his shot in time. All right, my third takeaway, as much positive stuff we saw, defense, you know, not so much on Saturday, but just throughout the spring, the running game, and even dating back to last year, the tight ends, quarterback play, tackling. My third biggest takeaway is this team is still not a finished product. The two biggest areas that stood out to me, the kicking game, Owen Daffer was an all-conference kicker last year, but I thought he really struggled on on Saturday. He missed both of his field goals, didn't really hit the ball cleanly, so that's something he's going to have to work on. He's, you can't afford misses really from that 45 yards and under, especially in that under 40-yard range. He missed a 41-yarder and I believe a 36-yarder. The punting game did not look good. I did think Andrew Conrad, a freshman, punted the ball well, and then Luke Larson had a few good punts after some shaky ones. So the kicking game worries me a little bit. We know that ECU lost Tyler Snead in the return game. That'll be something they have to answer. And then the wide receiver position is still something I'm not sold on. And there's a reason East Carolina is adding Toledo transfer Isaiah Winstead. There's a reason they added Jalen Johnson. There's a reason they're still looking at more transfer receivers. You know, there were some guys that made plays on Saturday. Josh Murphy, a former walk-on or a walk-on receiver, was high school teammates with Mason Garcia. Uh, Kerry King, a former walk-on. Uh, Jalen Johnson did not play in the scrimmage. Macy O'Donnell did not play in the scrimmage. I thought Taji Hudson made some nice plays. Um, you had those guys I just mentioned out with injury, a few others. But I, I think the wide receiver position, to me, is lacking real explosiveness, big playability in certain areas. They have a few of those guys, but they got a lot of possession receivers, and the guys who are explosive aren't very big. So continue to add to that position, which Isaiah Winstead clearly will. We don't know what will happen with C.J. Johnson. We'll continue to monitor that situation, but I still think the kicking game, the receiver position, and also the pass rush in terms of getting consistent pass rush in one-on-one situations are the areas that ECU has to continue to improve in order to become you know, a real championship contender in the American Athletic Conference. So those are my three biggest takeaways from the spring game. A lot to be positive about. This program is night and day compared to when Mike Houston first took over in 2019. I remember that spring. Uh, it, it wasn't very pretty. And aspects of Saturday were not pretty as well. But overall, just a a really solid day, I thought, for the uh, the, the annual spring game. All right, let's dive into some basketball recruiting. Mike Schwartz is getting it done. The thing I like about Mike Schwartz, talking with people around the situation, for a first-time head coach, this guy's got a clear plan. He knows what he wants to do, and he's already putting together some some real big roster additions. His first commitment came, I believe the news broke on Friday. Ben Baia, 
uh, original native of France, played Juco ball at South Plains College in Texas, averaged around 11-12 points per game his first two years there. Unfortunately, tore his ACL at the end of last year. He was getting recruited by some big programs, offers from the likes of Texas A&M, along with some others in the Southeast. Um, those programs, due to the injury, kind of quit recruiting Baia, and then he reclassified to the 2022 class. Upon taking the East Carolina job, Schwartz and his coaching staff, including Riley Davis, who's got some ties to Texas and has recruited the JUCO ranks a lot of Texas, end up offering Baia and get his commitment. 6'6", uh, around 190, really good shooter, great athlete, shooting guard, can kind of play multiple positions on the perimeter. That's a theme you're going to continue to hear uh, with these commitments for Mike Schwartz. He, he wants versatility. He wants guys in that 6'5 to 6'8 range that can play multiple spots. So Ben Baia, an addition on the perimeter. Also transferring from Tennessee and following Schwartz to ECU is Quentin Dibunje. Hopefully I got that right. I believe uh, I researched it prior to the show. So Quentin Dibunje, another native of France, uh, was a four-star recruit out of, out of high school. He attended Montverde Academy in Florida, originally from France, spent a year in uh, the States, and then went to Tennessee. And here's the thing about Quentin. Super, super athletic. Just had to translate to the American game. Is probably still translating to the American game. But he was only really recruited by Mike Schwartz before his arrival to Tennessee. So he feels most comfortable with Mike Schwartz. That's a big reason why he entered the portal and chose to follow him to East Carolina. And in Quentin, you're getting a potential guy you can possibly build your program around. Just athletically, defensively, he's going to be able to score the basketball. He can drive. He can shoot. Do a lot of different things on the floor. 6'5", 215, you know, continues to add some, some muscle, has added some muscle over the last year. So he'll come in ready to play. Did not play a lot at Tennessee. But just talking with people, there were two to three guys ahead of him. Um, but he was good enough to get on the floor athletically and physically. He just got to continue to learn the game mentally and adjust. And he'll get those opportunities at ECU. There's no doubt this is a good fit for uh, Quentin Dibunje. So two additions at the guard slash, you know, the 2-3 position. That's big because obviously ECU's losing Tristan Newton, Brandon Suggs, Alexis Reyes, some guys in that mold. Vance Jackson, they need some perimeter scoring. They need some some scoring in general. That's a good start. Still several spots remaining to fill out this roster. More to come, I can tell you that much. They are planning to add a post presence here shortly, probably another point guard as well. And then they are continuing to recruit some players in the transfer portal and in the high school ranks. So a lot of lot still to be done, a lot of moving parts. But I can promise you Mike Schwartz is all over. Him and his staff have a clear plan. Uh, I think they want to find that balance of transfer portal additions and also, uh, you know, get some prep players to develop. You've got a handful of guys still in the program. R.J. Felton, Brandon Johnson, uh, Luigi DeBoe, it sounds like will return for his extra year of eligibility. Still a decision to be made with Alonzo Frank, former South Carolina transfer. I've, I've heard that there's still some, um, some things to be worked out there. He could be back. He also potentially could enter the portal as well for his final year of eligibility. Uh, Marlon Leston, another freshman, and Javon Small as well, uh, who are currently scheduled to return. As always, things are fluid. As players see guys commit, they may want to go somewhere else. 
but it seems like those guys are kind of locked into and bought into what Schwartz is selling. They've been able to have some practices, some workouts. So hearing a lot of good things on the basketball front, we'll continue to monitor that. But Dibunje and Baia, two guys from France, really talented scorers, really talented athletes. I like the direction this thing is heading as Mike Schwartz looks to add some versatility to the program. All right, let's and we'll continue to follow some uh, some commitments in the coming days. ECU baseball, as we switch gears quickly before our port of call segment, the Pirates win two of three over Wichita State. You know, it's hard to say it's an unsuccessful week, but ECU did go two and two. They blew the lead on Wednesday against Old Dominion, and that really, I think, kind of takes you from an, a decent week feel to uh, – Man, maybe we could have had a little bit more if we didn't blow that lead. It would have been a three and one week. You really would have been moving in the right direction. And in conference standings, you are you're four and two, and now you're really about to play your two toughest league series at UCF and at Tulane in the two weeks ahead. And if you win those series, all of a sudden you're sitting very good for a potential conference championship run as UCF and Tulane are ahead of ECU in the conference standings heading into the next few weeks. But the bigger concern right now is ECU, from an RPI perspective, is just not sitting in a great spot for an at-large bid. They are now 80th in the RPI after the loss to Wichita State at home today. Despite being 4-2 and in conference play, they're only 18-15 and overall. And they're, quite frankly, running out of time in terms of the need to really go on a, a, you know, a nice little streak here to put themselves back in at-large position. If they win the next two series, they can potentially get there. But they need to start picking up some of these midweek wins. They got to take care of business at Elon. And the toughest thing about going on a streak is, I think eight of the next nine games are on the road or something to that effect. Obviously, the next two weekend series, you got a couple midweeks coming up at NC State at Elon. So it's a very tough stretch of the schedule. If the Pirates can get through this stretch, say seven and two or six and three, maybe they can go on a, a run at home over the last few weeks of the season and really put themselves there. But uh, they've just unfortunately missed a little too many opportunities earlier in the schedule in, in some winnable games to really put themselves in better positions. So as we go forward, we'll continue to see where the RPI goes, but UCF is 85th and the RPI currently Tulane is 50th. So those two road weekend series loom very large for ECU in the weeks ahead for Cliff Goblin's club. It's been a frustrating up and down year. Still a lot of ball left in front of them, though. They control their own destiny at this point. And there's always the conference tournament at the end of the year, which we know the Pirates can play well in to get that automatic bid. So ECU 18-15, and 4-2 in conference play after the weekend series win over Wichita State. All right, let's take a quick break. On the other side, we will come back and we will conclude our show with the Porta Call segment with Kiss My Cass. You're listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back into the Hoisty Colors podcast, and it is time for our latest edition of the Port of Call segment where we get to know our posters on the Hoist the Colors message board. And our next guest is Kiss My Cass. And people have been wondering, is it Rob Cass, the former ECU quarterback? Is it somebody who just felt like coming up with a cool name? So let's find out. Let's talk to Kiss My Cass. Uh, I guess we'll call you KMK. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, no, I'm not Rob Cass. My name is Daniel. Uh, we'll leave it at that, I guess. Um, a lot of people have figured out who I am, and a lot of people know who I am from talking with them. But, uh, yeah, not not the quarterback. He is not the former quarterback, Rob Cass. And we'll talk about your, uh, your username in a second, Daniel, how you came up with it. But we first got to talk about the fact that you grew up, uh, for those who do know you and, you know, We'll just talk about this. You you were my backdoor neighbor when I grew up in uh, in Windsor subdivision. The good old days. We used to play some uh, some great baseball games at Igo Field, and uh, had fond memories of of strolling out the back door and and seeing uh, seeing Daniel walking over uh, into the yard. So uh, you remember those days pretty good. They were great. Uh, we played football, baseball basketball a little bit less than but uh yeah it was those are great times uh the nfl football watching parties those are great those, those are the good times yeah good times man and uh it's it's crazy to think how far we've come but here we are now doing a podcast together uh <laughs> um all right so the meaning insane right the all right the meaning behind your hoist the colors username Kiss my cast. How did you come up with it? You know, is there a meaning behind it at all? Um, not really a strong meaning. Um, besides the obvious, like I'm gonna say what I want. <laughs> and my, I actually didn't come up with it. Uh, my friend came up with it. Uh, pretty. I'm. I'm pretty sure it was close to when you launched the website, and we were getting on it for the first time. Um. And I was like, I, d- I don't know what username to use. And I don't know. He just came up with it like almost out of the blue. And I was like, heck yeah. And uh, I do love Rob Cass. He had a cannon for an arm. And he was fun to watch. Yeah, Rob Cass. Unfortunately, a lot of fans remember him for getting the DUI before the Virginia Tech season over one year. But uh, honestly, that was a low light because he had many highlights as well. Helped ECU to, to back-to-back conference championships. I, th- I think he's still involved with uh, some coaching and football today. So uh, every time I've, I've talked with him or talked to people around him, he's, he's known as a very good guy. Oh, Rob Cass. So, yes, you are not Rob Cass, but you have a great name, Kiss My Cass. And how did you find Hoist the Colors? Do you remember when you first found it? Um, not exactly. I remember that I heard about it from you somehow, either like on social media or something. Uh, um, I think pretty close when you started it up. And 
yeah, it was just a no-brainer to pop on there and talk with other Pyre fans. Yeah, that was the coolest thing about growing up as an ECU fan myself and along with you and other guys kind of in the community. There were so many diehard ECU fans that when I started Hoist the Colors, like it was a group of us friends that really posted on the site to begin with. Um, and then it just kind of grew from there. So it's it's honestly crazy how it's uh, how it's taken off just over the years. Um, all right, favorite poster on Hoist the Colors to read. Who is Kiss My Cass's favorite poster? Um, first has got to be Sederip. I th- I don't even know how you say his name. Is it Sederip? Uh, I just ECU Pirates backwards is what I go with. That's what oh, it is. It is pi- See, I don't even. I didn't even notice that. Uh, that's that's sad that I didn't notice it. But yeah, uh, we agree on almost everything. Um, and when we don't, it's usually a miscommunication. So uh, he's always good. Uh, Butner Pirate's really good. Uh, Mind the Skipper, I like a lot. And, of course, Tarboro Bill is the best mod. Tarboro Bill, the, the best mod. We had a mod the other day just randomly go off and take a shot at John Gilbert, so that was interesting. Um, I don't know if you yeah. saw that. <laughs> I did. I just didn't be didn't say anything about it. I just, just yeah, okay, move on. I, I understand that a lot of people are not extremely happy with Gilbert in general because they see him as kind of a massive, I guess. Um, but, you know, I, I get people's opinions about that. It's whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the Dooley thing, it was interesting because, and we can talk about this before we continue on, I feel like the majority of ECU fans – going to the end of the basketball season were ready, at least on hoist of colors it, at the worst. I felt like it was a 50, 50 split to me, Daniel, and you can, or excuse me, kiss my cast. Um, Either one. <laughs> I felt like it was at least a 50, 50 split that people were ready to move on from Joe Dooley and just see something different. It was, I misreading that on my end, or do you agree with that? It's actually really hard to tell because one, you've got your fans that actually watch the game and care about it and stuff, and most of the posters on the board are those ones. And then you've got, like, everybody else who doesn't, who, like, kind of keeps up with it, but not really. And then the people who really don't keep up with it at all, but pretend they do. Um, and so between the, like, posters on the board, it was probably 50-50. Um, and then... Towards the end, when we heard that he was going to get Tristan Newton's brother and Tristan was going to stay and Suggs was probably going to stay. I, and that's another thing. Like, I don't even know if Tristan was going to stay because he's going to be getting his money so wherever he goes. But, uh, yeah, we were almost swayed to, I know I was, to kind of like hear Dooley out and maybe give him another chance but hindsight 2020 i'm back to i'm glad we did it and ready to see what the future holds yeah it's it's i think saying or talking about hey we need to do this or this decision needs to be made versus actually seeing the decision made are two different things too like when the deci- when the news actually comes out it's like a whole different feeling than hey this probably needs to happen 
But there's always that hint of doubt in everybody's mind. Well, maybe Dooley is the right guy. Maybe he needs more time. We'll never know. Uh, I do applaud John Gilbert for just totally, you know, he clearly was ready to move on. He clearly had his guy. This may have been done even before the end of the season. But uh, I'll tell you what, I'm impressed with Mike Schwartz, so I'm excited to see where it goes um, in time. But I, I do think ultimately Gilbert will be very – very much evaluated for this decision and how it turns out as it as it should be um as it should be yeah yeah so that's uh that's that's our take on it all right <laughs> to transition back to uh back to on topic all right least favorite poster you gave us some of your favorites do you have any least favorite posters are you willing to call anybody out uh no because if i respond to you you're not my least favorite poster. Like even Marv, like he's not my least favorite poster because like I he's actually I don't know. I I could actually talk, talk with him sometimes. If you're my least favorite post you poster, I ignore you and I'm done with you. I never read your stuff and will never respond to you. So I don't even waste my time thinking about who I don't like on there. It sounds like you're you're subtweeting Ori. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you're calling out Ori or not because a lot of people... No, 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 no. I, I, I read Ori's stuff. Okay. Uh, and have first started responding to him again. But they, there's a there's a lot of people who... And most of them, like, don't hardly post. And if they do, it's like one a, once in a while. And then I'll just be like, nah, ignore <laughs> Bye. Right. That's the thing with Ori is... Honestly, the guy, you know, he drives me insane because he post, <laughs> he posts the same stuff like, you know, this not the same exact post, but the, the same general thoughts over and over and over again. And, like, I can't ban somebody for doing that. But he makes some really good points, too. Like, he makes some some excellent points. He's He's called a lot of things correctly over time. Uh, the negativity, I think, can drive folks crazy but at the same time he's being negative because a lot of the stuff he gets right is uh predicting negative outcomes for the team based on stats he has or feelings he has so i don't know i mean he drives me crazy i think he drives everybody crazy but i do think there is some value to his post if you can just take what it is and not overreact to it right and you have to kind of filter them out because he does he does actually like copy and paste some stuff like the the um the dually uh rpi average rpi i think i can't remember how many times i saw that one and so after the first like one or two anytime i saw that like template i was like skip i can't read that sorry yeah, I, I I know what you're saying. There was a list of coaches he had with like every net ranking that was above ECU that ECU could yeah. hire. I think I saw that list probably a hundred times. But uh, <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah, but hey, I respect the guy, man. He's a I guess he's a diehard ECU basketball fan, and ECU needs more of those. So uh, it is what it is. All we right. do. We really do. Yeah. Favorite ECU sports topic to discuss? Do you have a uh, a favorite sport or? I don't know, thing that you like to banter about? Uh, my, my favorite two are definitely basketball and football. I'm not too much of a baseball guy. I'll dabble in them and like just kind of see what's going on and everything. Um, basketball and football are definitely the two most. Um, whenever we get NCAA football back, uh, those 
are great because we can go back to the write-ups of the games and stuff. <laughs> that was fun. Um, yeah, uh, mainly basketball and football, though. Yeah, I feel like you you you've chimed in a lot on basketball over the years, and I like I said, like I feel like there's a there's a lot of basketball posts on our site, but I do feel like it's <laughs> I feel like it's the same eight to ten people at most, really the same five to six that are just like consistently follow the program and maybe just a lot of people follow it but don't post but i do like that you're chiming into the basketball talk the basketball recruiting all that it it feels like there is a lot more interest surrounding ecu basketball maybe than ever before but maybe i'm just i don't know maybe i'm misreading that just it just feels that way. it it definitely is Uh, um basketball i think we had our like high of cit and then we just went into back into the nothingness. And there was a little excitement when Dooley got hired. And then, you know, we had, honestly, we pretty much everybody wanted Dooley to be the coach and we wanted him to succeed. Um, and, and towards the end is when, you know, the first couple of years we were just coasting. And then the towards the end is when we're like, like okay, we need better. And I think everybody, all, all of us who do post want us to be good. We need to be good finally. And we, I hope we're on the way there. Yeah, no doubt. It needs to, needs to happen at some point just because if ECU ever really wants to make a move to a bigger conference, they not only need football and basketball to, or baseball to carry it away, but basketball has to at least be respectable at some point. So uh, I, I am impressed that Schwartz has come in with a plan. You know, that uh, we talked about it earlier in the show. I did that they have two commitments that have announced there's two more silent commitments. So he's come in with players, whereas Dooley, when he first took over, he was just trying to figure out how exactly to piece together the roster because of the APR issue. So I think there's a much better immediate situation with Mike Schwartz taking over, as crazy as that sounds for a first time head coach. Um, all right, Daniel. Yeah, and credit, Go ahead, man. Credit to Dooley for, yeah. yeah, credit to Dooley for setting the foundation for that. I did set us back and hopefully will get us on that path. Yeah, because now he can, he can take transfers, Schwartz can due to, uh, a, basically a perfect APR that Dooley, Dooley had. So Definite, uh, definite mention of that. Um, all right, how did you become an East Carolina fan? How did Kiss My Cast? How did AKA Daniel, uh, whose last name I will not mention in fear of being run down? Um, how did he become an EC fan? Uh, easy. Uh, moved here when I was six. My dad got a job uh, at ECU, and it was just we went to games and we've always been like uh okay i live here so you know we're gonna follow this team and then you fall in love with it and uh we went to almost every football game almost every basketball game um there was kind of a pause there where we started i i just got sick of going to basketball like midweek basketball games and getting crushed and i was like oh my god i'm done with this (laughs) but i'm coming back around with basketball and yeah Easy enough, easy enough, and uh, thank you for rooting for the local team after moving here, and not not rooting for uh, other teams up uh, I I forty and uh, two sixty four. But uh, that's a conversation for another day. All right, favorite ECU athlete of all time. 
Any uh, any one or two or, or three players stand out here? Uh, obviously, Cass, Rob Cass. Uh, obviously. Um, Quentin Cotton, I forget who, which, uh, was it Butner who I think had it was, him? Yeah, I think it was Butner. Uh, yeah, he's, he was so good. God, God, he was so good. Um, just flew around the field. It was a magical to watch him uh james pigney for an underrated uh he actually was pretty dang solid when he played um and elijah morris my adoptive pirate for current uh basketball musa uh it, like blocking every shot was also incredible to watch um almost every player on the cit team that was that team was really fun to watch and they all had um, things they brought to the team. And then um, I've been defending Jaden Gardner a lot and I still like him. <laughs> Jaden Gardner is a, he's a tough situation for me. Cause like, is he, is he going to be an ECU hall of famer after transferring? Is that allowed? I don't know if he'll be an ECU hall of famer or if he should be. And I guess it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I don't know. Like, uh, he's, he, he has his work on, you know, what he did here. Um, unfortunately, it was in down years and everything. But he, he was really fun to watch. He was a really hard worker. Uh, I met his dad, like, the first game he played. I was like, the, your kid is, he raised him right, and he is clearly going to be really good. Yeah, he was he was a joy to watch and yeah, I don't even want to talk about that cuz it's just going to bring up old memories of Elijah Hughes and Mike Cook and all the other guys and Tristan Newton who have also transferred after uh after promising starts to their ECU careers or really good ECU careers. Um and that's something else see we got some time to kill. We can talk about just a few minutes here uh Daniel so Mike Schwartz, from what I can gather, it sounds like you know he's going to recruit some high school kids as well as transfer guys. He's not going to go straight transfer portal. He's not going to go straight high school kids. Since you're a basketball fan, what do you think of kind of the philosophy that he's taken where he's trying to find that mix? Do you think that's feasible? Would you like to see a coach go full transfer portal? What's your, uh, what's your gut feeling on that as a fan? Uh, so he's definitely going to have to go heavy on the portal with – this year because of losing Newton and Suggs and they were, were basically the team. Um, so losing them, you've got to find some kind of production for next year. So portals definitely necessary. Um, high school recruiting is so weird these days because of the portal. Who knows how long they're going to stay. Um, but I mean, you have to at least, take a few kids so i think the balance is very tricky and what he's gonna have to navigate and what he seems to be doing pretty well with so far because i love all the names he's been getting yeah i think it's gonna be too he i think he's got to reach out to guys in the portal figure out who's an attainable target at ecu versus what he could get at tennessee and then can he find a better talent from the high school ranks that he feels like can develop over time. And can you keep that guy? I don't know if you can predict that or not, but it's a risk you have to take, I guess, if you're going to do 
do it both ways. All right, football talk, Daniel. What is a realistic expectation for this year's football team? Like, I see a lot of people kind of saying that the Pirates should compete for a conference championship this this fall for Mike Houston under Mike Houston. Is that is that realistic, or are they going too far based upon last year? Absolutely not. Um, the only thing holding us back, a question mark on the team, is how the wide receivers are going to go. Uh, uh, our backfield is great. Our offensive line is vastly improved. Our defense as a whole is just really good. It sounds like, um, we've even got tight end, two tight ends that can catch the ball. So as long as wide receivers can be as good as they were last year, I think the line then, yeah. We could, we should be able to compete for a championship. I think it helps getting Houston at home. It helps getting UCF at home, Memphis at home. Those are the teams I think that are kind of in ECU's realm. You know, going to Cincinnati, that's going to be a challenge. But who knows what they'll look like after losing so much talent? Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited, man. NC State September third. It can't get here. Soon enough, ECU football, I think it'll be back on September 3rd like we haven't seen in some time with a full stadium. And Kiss My Cash will be in the stands, right? Yes, I will be there, no doubt. Daniel, man, it's been real. Uh, it's been real good catching up. Thanks for hopping on the podcast and introducing the Kiss My Cast character to the Hoist of Colors audience. And uh, we'll have to get you back on again, but it's been fun, man. Yes, loved it and will come back anytime that is kiss my cast and that is the hoist of colors podcast we will be back with you next time thank you guys for listening